Hey, tonight, <clears throat> might not talk as long as I usually do, but just want to throw out there that, hey, why do women are so fickle? Why do they want to hurt a guy that might not be as, as educated or even street smart, but, you know, he's a decent guy. Yes, he has faults. He's been, you know, a criminal. <clears throat> He might have did some criminal, you know, infraction, misdemeanors, but it had never murdered nobody, never sold dope, never, you know, how should I say, embezzled, but the woman just wants to go out there and mess around. I think women out there that close to be the species or the gender of maturing faster than boys, you know, but maturing doesn't mean always a positive effect. Maturing can be an underhanded code. That meaning they wants to be, you know, how should I say, intoxic. They wants to know how to do the criminal element without maybe breaking man law. But they, I believe they break more of, you know, spiritual laws, God's laws in the words of the Bible than maybe, you know, what men do. But hey, you got to think about the person's background. Like myself, I, my father wasn't very, how should I say, he was educated, but he was slow. And I mean educated, he wasn't like all book smart. I mean, far as his field, what he got into, aviation mechanic, he was good at that. But he wasn't really a book smart person. And I'm not saying that he was dumb, but he was just basically me without the degree in engineering and aviation mechanic. He was kind of dense, and I mean by that, he always seemed to follow the same pattern like me. A woman that tried to manipulate him, tried to undertone current, like, you know, they, from, in one way, but actually, if they don't do him wrong, they do the people surrounding him, you know, undermined wrong. Like uh, my father's uh, third wife, yeah. My father was married three times and stuff. I know people don't think that's bad, but when you was married, what's that, three times to a total of, what's that? Ten and five. Okay, then. He was married a total of 29 years. Yes, that's great if you're one marriage. But I think he was doing it because he was trying to search for a woman that really wants to accept him for his, how should I say, lower demeanor. Not a real yeller, but he has a fierce intensity that when he did yell, it scared the, you know, intimidated. And I don't mean intimidated like you wouldn't speak back up, but I mean intimidated when you're a kid. And that's all you saw in him and saw the abusive parenting of his, of my mother, his first wife. And then they don't notice things growing up in you and stuff because you're not supposed to speak. You're supposed to be seen and not heard. But too bad it had the double effect or should I say two-sided. My so-called sibling, and I ain't going to say... Even though she's a female, I'm not going to say the S-I-S-T-E-R. Yeah, I spelled it, but 
she was able to, you know, speak out and speak her mind and stuff. But me, I was like, how should I say it? I'm in a jungle. You might know I'm there, but you don't hear me and don't want to hear me because you hear all the other, how should I say it, loud tone, you know, creative, you know, beasts out there around you. But that keeps you timid because people uh, will tell you, hey, it's better to be seen and not heard. But it actually always be heard. No matter if you're afraid you're going to get hit right then and there, yelled at, punched, embarrassed, you know, bully. Always speak up because when you speak up years and decades later and you bring it up, their minds are usually, you know, how should I say it? It's weakened. They don't see what you saw with your own eyes. And when you saw with your own eyes when you was younger, and then you try to tell them what you saw 10, 20, 30, 40 years later, they make you seem like you're an app. They make you seem like you're retarded or crazy. They make you seem like what you're saying is BS. They make you seem like you don't know what you're talking about because they don't remember due to their bipolarness. Because I believe to a certain degree my father was bipolar. He just wasn't diagnosed. Diagnosed. <laughs> As I'm saying it right, people out there, I know I have a hard time saying words. My mother definitely was bipolar. My sibling was. So when I brought this stuff up, you know, Eight, nine years ago, maybe even uh, ten years ago, people thought I was crazy by bringing it up. Never, ever, if you see with your eyes and they tell you with your ears, you tell them right then and there, keep it going and keep reading the book over and over again so it stills in your mind from the time it happened to the time you're still you know, living to that point because if you don't and you keep quiet for 20 years or more and you don't mention it no more and then you finally bring it out of the closet again, people reflect to you like something's wrong with you because they don't know what was really bothering you. They don't know what, you know, was in your head. So they reflect as you was to bring up something now 20, 30, and 40 years later like, like you're impossibly crazy, insane, delusional, you know, mystified. And it's not always that. It's always due to what the first person initiate, how they communicate. And by my saying that, initiate, they was always initiate a fear of bullying, a fear of threatening, a fear of hitting, <laughs> Fighting, hitting you, pushing you, threatening you. To a certain degree, maybe a low, you know, empathy bribe or something to keep you quiet. So you think you're going to get more of them, but you get less of those bribes and more bullying when you keep getting fessed on by negative, how should I say, response by the initiator. What I mean by that, don't never let nobody initiate things over and over again in a negative way, repeatedly, you know, 
speak up, even if you have to go to outside the family lines, because I should have told teachers, principal, doctors, psychiatrists, friends, friends, parents, maybe I would have got that better, you know, adapt to what I could be, because I don't really have confidence. I'm 52 years old, and I still have a little bit of not just shyness, but intimidation by others. You know, I'm scared sometimes. And when I mean scared sometimes, I'm not scared by always the individual, scared by the response, by what somebody going to say. Laughter, you know, making fun of me, you know, trying to make it seem like, oh, you need to get over it. And to a point, you can't, but when you've been doing, been a victim for 47 years or more, it's kind of hard to get out your shell until and you don't have nothing to be, you know, intimidated by. When I mean that, I don't have no family. They told me that, hey, they will never help me out. They will never, you know, talk to me again. And most important, they believe all the lies, inflictions, and one-sided stories. And when I mean one-sided, they always believe the person who they closest to or nearest to them. I was never near to them growing up as a child. I'm definitely not near to them now because they're in California and I'm in Nevada. But I'm just so sick and tired of people always wanting to say because, hey, now that, you know, I'm divorced and I, you know, choose my ex-wife over them, like, I'm the one that was a liar. I'm the one that was delusional. I'm the one that was mystified. I'm the one that couldn't, you know, be believed because all of a sudden these acclimates that I'm telling, the truth on my side. And when I mean the truth on my side, people always wants to tell half the story. Yes, I wasn't always... Uh, beneficiary of the doubt of people believing in me when I believe that I was learned to lie by intimidation and fear by my mother by my sibling by my father by a lot of people but those was the main three people who taught me how to lie before I can even have an opinion not to tell the truth all the time and I was, was sick of it then but if I did I'll get slapped across the face, pushed around, go to my room, punished, extra chore, but mostly beaten and, you know, threatened by words. It's hard to believe that, you know, even when they tell you the truth that, oh, I didn't want to have kids, as my mother said, but she would always intimidate me, you know, by the time I can remember from 5 until 13. You don't like what I have to say? i put you in foster care. How would you like if you be in foster care? They'll treat you worse than me. So that was a fear of, you know, my own mother. That when she gets angry and she ain't justified by her own means. And what I mean by that, by arguing with her, she's just not justified by her own means. So she has to intimidate you into believing her means was more right than wrong. And by hearing that, you know, you're not going to be nothing. You're not going to never achieve nothing because I'm the one who brought you in this world. But bringing, I'm just like a 
father is not a father. A dad is a dad. It's two different things, even though people think it's the same entitlement. There should be two different level of words for mother. There's mother and there's a mom. A mother, yeah, there's Mother Day, but is she really a mom? I say no in my case. My mom was more of a intermediation. She was angry. She was bipolar. And she used words and threat to malign you, to ridicule you. And so, you know, most of my life, you know, until then, even though she's been gone for now five years, it still bothers me to a thing. Not so much because, hey, when a, for me in my mind, when a person dies, they see all the truth that they did wrong and all the lies that they tried to cover up. And then they see the real truth, how you was felt and belittled by those words. So maybe she's in hell which I wouldn't care. Maybe she's in heaven, which I don't care. But I believe that now she knows. That's why when I tell people, when people die, they know the truth. My father's uh, sister, who's about 86, 87, she don't believe in that. But when you die, I believe you see all the things your spirit rectify and reflect on that went on on earth, past, present, and future. But she don't believe that. But if when she dies, she gonna see the truth that hey, my sibling was a bully. She, my sibling molested me for nearly what's that? Four years from the time I was five to almost nine years old. She sexually abused me. She put my face in her crotch, and you know what that is to a five year old. It's the most disgusting thing. Even six, seven, and eight-year-old, when she did that for that many years, she needed. I should have told. Maybe we both have got our ass beat by our birth mother. And when I say birth mother, because she's not a mother, she was a mom. Because they don't say mom day; they say Mother's Day. But she wasn't really the mother. All she did, and he told me, yeah, and always throwing her face. Like, you know, I gave you life. I, you know, without me, you wouldn't be here. Well, nobody told you to open your legs, lady, when you knew that you didn't want children. You knew that before you said, I do. You told me the story, Dolores, Gina, Wallace, Blankenship. You told me that you never wanted a half kid. You only did it to please, you know, James Lee Blankenship. And if he had some kind of, like I said, I believe it, it comes straight out of said, but when he was slow in common sense, slow in delivery, slow in understanding the underhanded, methodical nature of a manipulative woman or persons, because he married three of them. The last one might have looked like Mary Sunshine or Mary Poppin, but she was manipulative too. And I'll get to that later. But I'm just so sick and tired of. These women are fickle. And I don't mean fickle like they want you one minute and, want, and don't want you another. I mean they want you to satisfy their category, their definition of what they need out of man. And I don't mean as far as money, finances, you know, 
houses, cars. I mean, how they can manipulate the people that you are supposed to be closest to. And that's what, you know, all three of them did. The only difference was Dolores, my mother, she was bipolar, mentally unstable. His second wife, not going to just say it, but I'm going to say it with how I feel then. She was a bitch, but at least she was a straight-up honest bitch because she'd tell my daddy while I'm there visiting him that, you know, she's come first and your children come second. And even though I didn't like that, but at least she was an honest person I can respect in this way. At least she wasn't hiding behind her bitchiness you know, she was telling straight up, maybe she never did want, you know, to marry my dad except for the money when he was an aviation mechanic, bringing home over $1,200 a week back in the, what's that, 70s until mid-80s until he had a stroke. But at least I can say one thing, it hurts when people be that honest and that bold, but you can't take it away from them because... They are a bitch, and they are being that bold because that's their nature of feeling that they deserve. His third wife I thought was cool and nice, but when I met her in 19, what's that? What's that? In 88? You know, I didn't say nothing right away for a few hours when I was house because I didn't know. It wasn't so much... My, my daddy thought, because what the identifier as, and what I mean identifier as, you know, by which, you know, name she didn't want to be called, or which name she didn't want to be known as by his son. I don't mean by, you know, derogatory names. I mean, I wasn't going to call her mom. I wasn't going to call her Mrs. Blankenship. And even when I, I was an adult then, you know, I wasn't told they'd call her Regina. So, you know, Regina, Blankenship, you're out there in Savannah, Georgia. You're a sneaky ass bitch. And what I mean by that, I don't mean like you was hating on me when you met me. But I'll just tell you a story and stuff. Yeah, my second day, um, we was there. Oh, no, the first day I was there in 1988, my dad said, why don't you go to the store with Regina? And I didn't want to go nowhere with her without my dad. Not because, you know, I was scared of her or afraid that she was going to do something. That didn't even come in my mind because if it had come in my mind, maybe I would have spoke up and said something. But what I mean coming in my mind, I didn't think she would do what she did. But to find out that she was prejudice against biracial couples, I mean racial couple, black, white, anything that black outside of going with his own kind, she didn't like. So to make a long story short, we went to the store, you know, and I bought something, and you know, I was waiting for my change, and before the change was delivering my hand correctively all the way in my hand, you know, you know, I was like in my, like I said, 21, and the cashier was a young, white, attractive, you know, in her early 20s. You know, she didn't even put the hand, change in my hand all the way incorrectly. And in fact, it slipped out. 
and I, you know, smiled at her, and I picked up the chain. Before I even picked up the chains, I fell. Regina talking about, come on, let's go. And, you know, and not just saying it, like, in a rush, but she kind of, she did yell at me. I'm not going to say kind of, she yelled. I just looked at her like, what the hell wrong with you? I didn't say nothing to my daddy then, but my daddy knows now, wherever he is in heaven or hell. I'm not going to say that I wish he was in, you know, heaven. But I'm just not going to say, you know, I'm glad he's in hell. But, you know, she was, you know, very, you know, high strong in that. And then, when you know, years later when I got married to my ex-wife, who's an American but looked at white, when I told her, I forgot how the conversation, I didn't just tell her, you know, bring it up, but she was supposed to come visit and I said, well, I hope you get along with Loretta. And so she said, why? And, you know, I was just joking. I said, well, she's not black. She's Native American. And people might think that, why are you going to bring that up? Like you're trying to prevent it from happening before it happened. Why are you saying it like you're ashamed of your ex-wife at the time? No, it wasn't that because I knew from that experience, you know, what's that, 88 to 2002, so what's that about, 17 years apart, somewhere in there, you know, that she might still be a biracial racist, you know, and but you know what, she didn't speak for like about f five to seven seconds, and people say, well, that's not a long time, but if you think about it, somebody that really has to say, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't bother me, would say it instantaneously after you said the sentence, they would come back right away within a second. But for her to think and have to concentrate on what I said, that was kind of in her mind like that was an insult to her or to any black man and stuff. And I'm not going to lie, growing up in the 70s and early 80s and stuff, you know, I mean, there was black actress on TV and everything like that, but I wasn't really attracted to my own black women. And I'm not really attracted to a lot of them today. I'm not saying that white overshine black or black is considered ugly or there's different types of, you know, you know, phases of blacks, yeah that you might like better at that, but I was growing up what you was brought up to learn, and what I was brought up to learn was what I saw on TV. Like most kids my age, you know, there was Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, Charlie's Angels, you know, Three's Company, the Bionic Woman. There wasn't really kid shows that had a lot of... <coughs> definite or definition of black women. Yeah, you can say them now and stuff, but I didn't see those shows. I didn't know those shows existed. I didn't know the characters or the actresses that was connected to those shows. So I was brought up watching most of the shows that when you say, you know, 70s, 80s, you know, those was the shows that I saw and that was, I thought was considered, you know, wonderfully attractiveness to. It wasn't that I was trying to put aside or put, you know, shade to it. I don't mean in no negative way, but I wasn't trying to <clears throat> do that because I never seen it before until maybe the late 80s, 90s, and so on that there was, you know, beautiful black women on TV and stuff 
Because most of the time when you see a movie, you don't think about a movie because it's not repetitious in your head. Unless the movie stands out or that actress stands out in some kind of character way connected. It wasn't Instagram like it was. It wasn't, you know, Snapchat back then in the 70s, 80s. There wasn't YouTube or Facebook. So basically what I saw was on regular TV, you know, so majority of it was, you know, the white women and stuff, and, you know, I was just, you know, drawn to it and stuff, because there wasn't a lot of black women that stood out, you know, that was on the A-list, unless they was like, you know, when I was a kid, and they probably might have been, you know, some women that did some TV shows, but I didn't hear about them, or didn't, wasn't trying to find, I was thinking, looking at the ones that stood out automatically, on an everyday visual, how should I say, type of scenery. I wasn't seeing those other women of color because they didn't have their own TV shows. They wasn't really, you know, maybe more than 15 or 20 years. They was like 30 and 40 years old. So, you know, when I was a kid at, you know, 10 and 11, 8 to, eight to 11, you know, those black women back in those days was probably like in their 40s and 50s. And I wasn't thinking like that. I thought them more of my mother. Even though those women on Charlie's Angels, Three's Company, Bionic, you know, Wilmick and stuff. They were still old enough to be my mother, but they was like 15 to 20 years old. So, yeah, you thinking in the kid's mind, you have a, I know the solution, but you still believe that you might have a chance than when you get to be like 17 years old. But anyway, I just want to say that I know I'll go back and forth. That's how my mind is. But when you're mentally challenged like myself, that's how you talk and that's how you see things as a, a child's head mind. Because, yes, I know how to take care of myself, know how to pay my everything. But, yeah, I know that I am a little bit Childish due to my, what's that, incarceration, due to my, what's that, infliction by rape, by my sibling, by the overtone sexual tensions of my mother, because she used to walk around the house, you know, in her bra and panties. I mean, yeah, she tried every time, and she knows I'd be in the house, but she would, you know, run to a room, like if I come out of the room and go to the bathroom, and she's in the walkway between my room and the bathroom. She runs in the bathroom, runs to her room, knowing that I could possibly come out, and she kept doing that until I was like about, like I said, 13 years old. There's other things I have to talk about and say and stuff, but tonight might not make a lot of sense to you, and people might think that, yeah, well, you should have told, you should have told your father, but yeah, well, I'm going to do tell my father and move into a woman that, you know, told me to my face that your second choice to your father, my father, is going to be number one to me because, you know, uh, that's how it's set up and that's how it arranged when we got married. That's how I put my foot down. I didn't want to live with none of my other relatives because they was just as bad as Dolores, my mother. What I was going to do at eight years old, go get a job, 
when my parents got divorced, maybe I should have. Maybe I should have told police or t told a teacher, told a principal. Maybe I would have been a foster home. Maybe I would have got more sexual abuse. Maybe I would have got more beat up. But eventually, I might have got the help I needed. But at the same time, it was no worse than what I was being threatened by my mother and my sister for all these years. And it still affects me, even though they're not talking to me no more the last year and a half. Because when I needed help a year and a half, the remaining people that were still alive after my mother died, my mother's sister died, my mother's oldest brother died, they basically told me, you know, sorry, we can't help you. We don't want to help you. They didn't say that, oh, we can't help you. They said, we don't want to help you. And people might think, well, then you have, you're just telling your side on this podcast. Yes, I made a bad mistake making a threat against, you know, a clinic in Reno, telling people that I was going to blow it up. But deep down, it wasn't that, you know, I really was going to, you know, carry it out and follow through. I still have mental issues. I still got bipolar. I'm still schizophrenic. I'm still, what's that, mentally challenged in a lot of ways that I don't know the definition or the scientific analysis about. But people only stick to you when you have something, even if it's very little, that they can get you I mean, get from you. Now that you know, I didn't have that no more. That's why my ex left me. That's why my so-called blood people, because I'm not going to never say the word F-A-M-I-L-Y. I never felt that I had a F-A-M-I-L-Y. It was just blood people. Or you could say blood-related. Or I will say blood-related or blood people. That's how I relate to the F-M. F-A-M-I-L-Y, because I never felt that I had a, that I was always a product of intimidation, bullying, I was outcast, because I always had to be the one that shut up. I could never speak my mind, even in a nice way. I don't want to hear, or they try to use psychology to make their wrong definition to sound secure and sound like it's the morally seen right when it was only the morally right by the way they think which was evil and I should have spoke up then but I'm going to speak now if you got mental illness in any type of family if you're adopted born into it you know people comes into your family that's married into it adoption comes into your family and you don't see nothing going to prospectively, how should I say, in the same manner. It doesn't really connect with you. Talk to a policeman. Talk to a psychiatrist. Talk to a preacher, a priest. I know they don't really got good reputation because today how you hear preachers and preachers and Boy Scout masters and stuff, unless little boy. But talk to somebody that you can feel some type of trust. If you don't have no type of trust in those blood people of yours, Find somebody that can talk outside of family. And if you're so-called, I know I said, but I didn't say my. Put it like that. I didn't put a my to the word family. You know, I just did, but I was trying to make a point. 
Never believe in people inside your realm that's closest to you because if they've been finding a way to shut you down, shut you up, intimidate you, they're not really family. They're morally bullied. There might not be a lot of women that goes to jail as much as men, even though there are a lot of women now who go to jail, but it is what's that? It's like four to one men in this world go to jail more than women. So that's understandable to a certain point because I believe that we are taught to not to discuss, not to show emotion. Or should I say, we wasn't taught how to really communicate until maybe the last 20 years. Anybody that was born before 1995 and down, it's hard to change when you was born in the 60s and 70s, early 80s, and you was taught and seen by what you saw on TV, how men was controlling and dominating. And you know, Yell at women, then we have to turn around and know how to, you know, communicate. You know, in my time when I was born, yes, it was still wrong to hit a woman, but they never said nothing about when women abuse men. Women know how to manipulate men, monopolize men, know how to make a woman, I just say, sound and act like a bitch. And I don't mean in a negative way, but that's how my family treated me. And I don't mean just the sexual abuse, but how you're not supposed to speak up. Well, I'm going to get off, and, and I'm finished for tonight. I don't know when I'm going to be back on, but this is my podcast. And I'm at least going to talk for, you know, at least once a week. This is Laron Ali Blankenship, but I'm going to be changing my last name soon. Because I never was a Blankenship, and I never was a part of the Wallace clan, because I was the one that was totally shunned before I really was admitted into this uh, that so-called Blood People clan. What I mean by that, they never wanted me in the beginning, you know, my mother. And even though my dad might have wanted me just to carry his name as a boy, I never really felt that me and my father had any kind of connection because he never stood up to my birth mom the way he needed to, the way I needed him to, then to a second wife, and she manipulated him into not speaking up for me, to embarrass me, to bully me, to belittle me, and then even though his third wife seemed like the lesser of the three women, evil, but I got some more on her, Miss Regina Blankenship in Savannah, Georgia, because she was two-faced. She sticked her nose in her business six years ago when she shouldn't have, but I'll get into that in the next podcast. This is Laron Ali. I'm just going to say that because I don't feel like I'm uh, a Blankenship. Okay now, bye.